Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 22nd, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, The Remedy for Bad Religion. Religion is in the air. Can't you feel it? On November the 13th, in a series of coordinated attacks, eight madmen shouted, Allahu Akbar, God is great, as they joyfully killed 130 people and took their own lives, believing that death was the door to paradise. If they wanted press for their bloody God, it's hard to imagine better marketing. Allah is known worldwide these days. There's no such thing as bad news when it comes to media, so word of their vengeful God and their hateful religion has garnered worldwide headlines. It has filled the air of television time and has circled the cyber globe above all other tweets and posts. If making their God known is the point, they are succeeding. If terror is the game, they know how to play it. Since 9-11, there have been too many incidents like this to number. Successful attacks, thwarted attacks, threats of attack enveloping the globe in the name of God. It's a sad day. In her book, Christianity After Religion, Diana Butler Bass calls the first decade of the 21st century the horrible decade for religion, the worst 10-year period the church has ever endured. So glad that's the time Amy and I chose to become pastors. She lists 10 incidents that shook the worldwide church. The attacks of 9-11 while associated with Islamic terrorism, Islamic extremism, are not unlike the sex scandal among American Catholic priests, she says. They impugn religion itself. Bad religion is the bane of good religion. Park Road Baptist Church does not practice extremism, nor are we a Muslim community, but in the logic of association, all religion is the same. Russ and Amy Jackson do not wear clerical vestments, have not taken priestly vows from Rome, but in the logic of association, all clerics are the same. And it's not like the church needs explosions in the name of God to do the dirty work. It's been on a path of self-directed implosion for a few decades now, the church has. Christianity knows bad religion too, and its wounds run wide, cut deep, are slow to heal. Some are terminal. Mistrust and irrelevance is a deadly combination, and it seems like a new Pew Research Center poll every month charts the swelling numbers of church dropouts. There are now two identifiable groups of nuns in the United States. You probably know this. Some of them wear habits and seem as culturally relevant as Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music. The other group called nuns spells their descriptive title like the emptiness of the American soul they represent. They loudly, often haughtily celebrate their religious affiliation and conviction, 
we have none. Simply put, it's a hard time to be the church. I walk into Chick-fil-A most every school morning for my cup of joe and my daily dose of bad news in print. And I have a name there. It started with one of the African-American supervisors whom I had met in a meeting in town about race issues. Most of the employees there don't actually know my given name. They haven't connected me, most of them, to this church. But they have followed the lead of my friend Kenny, and they just call me pastor. I'm pastor now to most of them. It's not something I asked to be called, not actually a title I particularly welcome. Invariably, someone raises an eye or an eyebrow when Kenny walks by. Morning, pastor, he says. When they hear the greeting, it's like I become a relic in the corner and not just some guy reading the news. But I do appreciate the simple respect coming from a community that knows the scandals but still affords the clergy a little honor. Now, I'm not saying I want that. Do not, I hear, I repeat, do not start calling me Pastor Dean. But I am saying that the relative absence of that formal courtesy represents a loss to our culture as a result of the fact that in too many ways the church has succumbed. Bad religion has won. Is there any other kind of religion? But here's what I want to say to you today, as strongly as I can. I know I'm mostly preaching to the choir. Maybe you can tell them. I want to say it as strongly as I can. Religion is not going away. It's not going away as much as the growing identity of nuns might seem to indicate otherwise. As misguided and tragic as are the beliefs of suicide bombers, and members of the Westbrook Baptist Churches of the world, religion is not going away. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. I am confident of that because the impulse that gives rise to religion is soul deep. And it is found in every single human being. Houston Smith, an expert in comparative religions, says that a sense of awe a simple sense of awe is the seed of all religious experience. All religions begin just by saying, wow, to something. There are moments our souls spill over the brim that cannot be captured with words. Maybe it's Mahler's first symphony. Maybe it's standing at Tallulah Gorge looking down 1,000 feet at a cascading river surrounded by the splendor of fall color. Maybe it's the world of insight and understanding that can open up in the rhythm of a well-crafted poem. Maybe it's the sound of a baby's coo and cry, her sweet smell, her tender need, that awe which is mystery in a moment's glance, may come in the ecstasy of sexual intimacy, in the simple kindness of one neighbor looking in on another neighbor, in the grief of overwhelming loss, staring into the abyss of death, contemplating the concept of nothingness. Wow. That'll take your breath away, too. Awe. That glimpse of mystery 
is the beginning of religion. The problem is that no mathematical formula can measure that experience. And you cannot define clearly soul, spirit, God. The truth, the truth of the matter is that the prophets and poets of the world's great religious traditions have never tried to define those terms. Houston Smith says our fledgling, lumbering attempts to convey that experience, however, have given rise to the words we call doctrine. And those words can be deadly if misunderstood. For example, the church had an experience with God that was powerful. And then the church had a new experience of God in the person they called Jesus. And another experience still, a tangible experience after Jesus. These three experiences were life-changing, world-altering. And as we do with good news, the church tried to share that good news. The church wanted, needed to speak of this experience it had had with God. The God they had come to know in many ways, multiple ways. And the word Trinity was the best its leaders could come up with. It was not a perfect word. No word can perfectly describe God or any religious experience. And that word was never intended to be taken literally. Never intended to be taken literally. The language was supposed to sound like a beautiful song, not read like the recipe for making pancakes. Take three of this one of this, you got God. If the words can point to the original, awe-inspiring, life-changing, ineffable, indescribable experience of God, they are powerful. But most people in all the world's religions get stuck on the words. On one side, there are people who think the literal words are important because they describe something literal. But on the other side, people discount the words as destructive because they are archaic and meaningless. In the middle are a lot of people who just think some words are important just because of the cover of the book that holds them. The word Bible or Koran or pearl of great price is somehow supposed to imbue human symbols called words with divine authenticity and authority. And all of those people are missing the purpose of words, which point to experience. People speak in human language. So far, it's the best we have discovered, the best way we have discovered to communicate. But people who really understand life and love and the mystery we call God, those people write in poetry, which says as much in what it leaves out as what it puts in print. Scripture is poetry. And visionaries and mystics tell stories because stories connect us. We can relate to stories. We can find ourselves in stories. We are emotionally drawn to or repelled from characters because we too are characters. 2,500 years ago, a prophet in Babylon 
a political prisoner, a religious refugee, wrote to inspire his enslaved people. Have hope, he said, God is with us. That's basically what Daniel meant with his story. But he used a strange language, told in the language of demons and angels. He wrote about beasts and strange events, like making sense of political cartoons that use the symbols we understand today, given the events of the unfolding world around us. You open the newspaper, you understand the cartoon. Someone in Africa might not understand it, but you get it because you know what the symbols stand for. In the same way, those people undergoing persecution who read Daniel's visions understood the message. They didn't get lost in the beast and the angels and the demons and the events. They understood the political cartoon. The genre is called apocalyptic literature. This form became a standard way to talk in the ancient world for people who were being persecuted. John, exiled on Patmos, wrote a similar cryptic tale when his people were being massacred by a tyrant in Rome named Nero. His revelation was a source of deep hope for them. They didn't get lost in all of the strange words. A friend of ours who is deeply resentful of religion who uses Facebook as his medium to mock all things spiritual, recently went on a tirade against Amy's last blog post warning Christian people that there is no place for fear in the life of faith. Our friend wrote, Don't be afraid of what? A snake that will doom me? A girl that may cut my head off so I'm not strong anymore? A wage with Lucifer himself over a cool dude named Job? Oh, the list goes on. I just get so tired of it. I wrote back and I recommended to my friend a good introductory course in the Bible where he could learn the words allegory and narrative, understand what myth is in its classical form, that he could learn to think about symbolism and to read poetry. Our friend, like too many people around the world, reads literal words and it drives him to foolish conclusions. He can't hear any other way. I understand it's hard. A fascinating, insightful article in the Atlantic Monthly just detailed the apocalyptic vision of the group called ISIS. God, they believe, is bringing about the consummation of the world through them, just as the Quran tells them as they read it. This author says their demented version of last things includes a prophecy that the caliphate will have to be nearly annihilated before Allah wages the final battle. So every bomb we drop, every one of their warriors we kill only feeds this narrative only fuels the fire of their badly understood religion. As they read it, we are fulfilling the prophecy for them. We've got to learn to read the Bible. And we have got to pray that Muslims around the world will learn to read the Quran and find the unifying theme that is at the center of all religions, love 
God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And not just get lost in the literal word. Many people like our Facebook friend are just tired. And many have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. Religion is only crippling, harmful, irredeemable. I understand that sentiment. I feel like I am on the front lines. If you think you hear about it, you ought to be a minister. I deal with it a lot more than you do, I promise you. I feel the barbs of the effects of bad religion every single day. Morning, Pastor. I've watched too many church members walk out the door for some bad reason, but I cannot let go because the cure for bad religion is not no religion. The cure for bad religion is good religion. In an opinion piece in this week's Observer, an American Muslim and academically minded PhD leader of an Islamic community in Chapel Hill, if you think Muslims are not speaking out to critique Islamic extremism, pick up this past week's Observer. Observer. This PhD leader of this Islamic community says the extremist vision is not Islam. And the counter for Islam, bad Islam, is only good Islam. The pen is mightier than the sword. If smart people walk away from the church and the temple and the mosque, religion is not going away. You can write that down and tell them you heard it first right here. If the smart people walk away, religion is not going away. Their absence only makes the situation worse because we abdicate to those who are left the leadership and direction of one of the most powerful forces the world has ever known. The absence of intelligent people from the church will only make religion less intelligent, less compassionate. But that kind of church will not be the kind of church that's left will not be any less enthusiastic or influential to the landscape of our culture or to the geopolitical future of the world. It's a frustrating day to be a thoughtful Christian. Countering the hate and the bigotry offered in the name of God is never-ending hard work. Who was the guy that had to push the ball up the hill for all eternity and it rolled down and he started over again. That's what I feel like, Sisyphus rolling the ball up the hill. But our work must never end. The stakes are just too high for us to walk away. It is a hard day to be the church, but there is also a palpable sense of the importance of organized religion. I also feel that. If people think they are making a difference in the world by drinking their Starbucks on Sunday morning instead of being part of a community, an alive, active, vibrant community of faith, trying to figure all this out together, they need to think again. It's hard for individuals to change the world, so God called us together for a reason. Do not walk away. The only cure for bad religion is good religion. We must learn to read our Bibles in light of the life and death of Jesus Christ and be committed to changing our world 
bad religion, and all with sacrificial love. Good religion is the only hope we have. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.